for the San Francisco music scene. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever. Hey, what's going on? My name is Alon Moskowitz. This is the Fake Publishing Millionaire's Hour. Tonight we got an interview from Lit Quake with uh, Aaron Carnes of the In Defense of Scott podcast slash book slash phenomenon. Uh, it's a fucking honor to be doing a Litquake thing. You know, one of my favorite things about Litquake over the years is uh, that you always see authors, especially like the big ones that year if you read contemporary books. But... I want to play some more ska music. I hope that's okay. I hope you like ska music. If you're here and you don't like ska music and you've made it this far with the show or are tuning in for the first time or have never heard of Aaron, um, this might not be for you, but I appreciate that you showed up. And so uh, here, this one's kind of like sort of emo. Have you heard the new Cliff Diver featuring Ska Tune Network? It's pretty interesting.
Hey. hey. How's it going? Hi, how's it going? How's this sound? Is that good? Okay. Is this uh, an okay thing to wear in my hair? I guess not. I got to ask, what's it like to read a book and start a mosh pit? <laughs> so when I uh, I did a tour with uh, Mustard Plug and, and Bucko Nine, and I was the opening act, I, I read a little bit of my book. And so the bass player of, I'm sorry, the guitar player of Mustard Plug, he said, I challenge you to get a mosh pit going while you do your reading at one of the shows. And I said, challenge accepted. So at bottom of the hill, uh, I read this chapter, the same chapter. And then at one point, I told the crowd, I said, I want a mosh pit. I, it, was, it was during the 311 section, obviously. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. How, how, does, how does that work? Were you, were you reading the scene by scene? or, or how did, I, just, I read it just as I did it. To, I told them before that I was challenged to get a pit going, and then I wanted them to be the ones to do it. And they were like, yes, we want to be the people to do it. And I said, I'll tell you when to do it. And then I did, they pit, and then I said, that's it. And then they stopped pitting, and then I finished the chapter. That's so fucking cool. Um, what city was that at? Yeah, it was right here, bottom of the hill. Oh. Yeah. Hell yeah. I figured, I figured San Francisco would deliver, yeah. yeah. Was that, so wait, what, at what point was the, the gauntlet throw down? Like two days before. So in like Portland? No, no, we, we went south up, ah. south north. Right on. So what city were you in that wasn't good enough to do uh, the mosh pit? <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, like, half the tour was uh, bar shows and half were all ages. And so I, I, I figured, like, an all ages place was going to be more receptive. That was so, a great show about yeah. the hill, by the way. Um, I guess the follow-up question I've got, completely unrelated. At what point were you approached about Misfits of Scott 2 and Flat Planet? Oh, okay. So I was a friend with Mike Park. And um, he just told me he was putting together a compilation, and, and he just offered, said, do you guys, do you want Flat Planet to be on Misfits of Scott too? And I was like, sure, you know. We, we'd actually recorded a whole record, um, so I had a song, but then we never released a record because we blew, we broke up. But I've been trying to find it. Where, um, so uh, where is that right now? It, which, which one? The, the, uh, any other Flat Planet stuff besides the Misfits of Scott too? So I'm not speaking into my mic. Can you, can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, yeah. So... We recorded an album. I put one song on Mrs. Ska 2, and then there was a comp called Bay Area Ska um, by uh, Skank and Pickles drummer Chuck, uh, Tomato Head Records. Four songs, I think, made it on that. Then I left the band. They kind of imploded, and then the rest of the songs never got released. Shoot. Would you... Is that the kind of thing that you'd be interested in seeing in the future, or...? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I guess the other million dollar question I got is, what is the worst thing a Scott band could do that you would just not like them? Like, not like necessarily <laughs> like some cancel stuff, just like what, what, what are no-no spots for like Scott music in your book? Like what sucks? Um, I'm, you know, I'm pretty open to like bands doing different things. I think the main, I would say the main thing is make sure your horn players are in tune. <laughs> Nothing sounds worse than three horns slightly out of tune. <laughs> Now, you can have a shitty uh, bass player. I mean, your guitar player can kind of suck, but you got to have... And the drummer's got to be good. <laughs> okay. Uh, can, bands that are defunct only, could you give me an example? I don't want to trash on anybody that's doing their thing now. Uh, I mean, for the most part, I would say the big bands were surprisingly pretty good. Like the, It was like the local bands. You would go see like a bigger band, and the high school band would play, and it's like those... I think that's one of the reasons people really soured on Scott's, like... The high school band opening band were just uh, horrible horns, and you'd see that enough times, and you'd sort of associate it with the genre. But I feel like the bands that it, the the bands that have you know that were headlining clubs, they were usually pretty solid, and I think usually like really good musicians. So I I don't think it's fair to hold the opening acts against the genre. <laughs> like, okay, okay, wait. If you could pick Eddie Horn uh, to play. What's your horn section look like? What's what's your what's your lineup? Yeah, my my band had. I would not choose the same horn lineup my band had, but for some reason my band had three saxophones, which was a horrible idea because saxophones already like almost don't sound in tune. Um, but if I was to choose, if I was to handpick a horn section, definitely trombone. Um, probably like a sax, um, like a baritone sax. Baritone sax is pretty awesome sounding. Like I always love when you see Fishbone and Angelo pulls out that monster uh, baritone sax. 
and like just kills it because it has it sounds like it's just coming from your the gut uh trumpets kind of a maybe on a trumpet trumpets can be really abrasive but if the if the person has control it sounds awesome so either so trombone for sure one sax and then maybe trumpet depending <laughs> if you could be in any ska band playing today which one would you choose i choose to not play music anymore hey! <laughs> playing music no fun my least part about playing music um was loading drums <laughs> Wait, 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 I'm so sorry. Like they they got you loading the drums. I was the drummer. Oh right, jeez, I'm so sorry, Aaron. My research is awful. You should put the album out. That way, I would I would know a bit more. No, it's okay. Yeah. No, but it, it, it really didn't. loading drums was the worst thing. In fact, before we toured, I had a full drum set. By the end of the first tour, I had uh, a bass drum, one tom, and like. Ride cymbal and a hi hat. That's oh, it. That's, that's, and that's it, it had everything right to do. It had everything to do with the fact that I didn't want to load drums. I, <laughs> I've been doing it that way because I realized the high tom doesn't give me much leverage. You know what I mean? Like, what, yeah. what, what's it doing for me? The floor tom. If I just keep hitting it in the same spots, it'll do okay. Yeah, and then and the ride cymbal can just be a crash cymbal yeah, too. Yeah, you're speaking my language now. <laughs> Was it because you skinned your knuckles on too many uh, hallways? Because I'd always skin my knuckles trying to get through like these like slim ass fucking no. like all ages <laughs> venue doorways. Like, yeah, you know, we're like a, a a JCC, but you just go up the stairs three or four flights. You know, you just skin your hands and then you get up there and then you get a gig that doesn't pay and it's going to be so good. You're going to love it. Uh, that was a hyperbole example. Um, it's been lovely. I, I don't know. I think it's just like, you know, you have to do the whole, the whole kit, the guitar players and bass players, they think they have it bad because they have like a cabinet and then, you know, the horn players, they have like, you know, they could just carry it in. And yeah, there's, there's there's no way they're helping you <laughs> carry parts of your drum in. They're always on like kind of like a different page. It's like they're, yeah, they're, they're they're like they have some other thing that they have to do. <laughs> it's important. It's pressing. Yeah. One, two, three.
If I do, do, do I have to? Why don't you come inside? I want to play you some ska that will turn you into an escasionado.
up some steam. Come to girl, come to girl, can you cut as much as me? Look at my Aussie, all so strong. Black boulders, the girls they seem and they just can't keep off me. Stop, don't mock me, or I'll let off some steam. Don't you wanna be like me? Don't you wish you were like me? Don't you wanna be like me? Don't you wish you were like me? Don't you want to be like me? Don't you wish you were like me? Don't you want to be like me? Don't you wish you were like me? everybody else anyone i've got the microphone and it's fucking live who wants to ask some ska related you can just anything ska related if you want yeah uh, so in your book you talk a lot about the the kind of early american ska divide between traditional ska and then bands like skank and pick like i think people a little younger get the idea that like the ska punk bands were kind of the forefront of the ska movement at that time. Mm-hmm. But there was this traditional ska community that also existed. Um, why do you feel like there was such a divide between the two? So what, what happened was in the eighties, primarily in eighties, the bands were very much influenced by two tone bands like specials. Yeah. Um, the, the, the couple exceptions being the two most influential, influential bands of the eighties, which were operation Ivy and fishbone. And so those bands influenced sort of the, a lot of the bands that came up in the late 80s and the early 90s, so like Skank and Pickle, Voodoo Glow Skulls, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, even though Mighty Mighty Boss Tones started like 83, but they really got going in, in, in earnest in like 89. Um, Fishbone, Fishbone was primarily the blueprint, but Operation Ivy as well, uh, especially bands a little later because Operation Ivy was a little bit more of a, local thing that kind of got out after the band broke up and then um tradition like straight up traditional bands that were like really influenced by jamaican ska and like really embraced the 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 suits and the skinhead and all that stuff a lot of those bands started in like the early 90s and some of that was because like there wasn't a lot of availability of that music in the 80s it was like there was trojan comps sort of coming out bands were hearing it the Scottalites reformed in like the late 80s and then they started touring pretty heavy in the 90s. I think the Scottalites getting back together was a really big um, thing because then bands could actually see the Scottalites. And when they got back together in the 90s, it was primarily the original lineup. And those early recordings of Scottalites are awesome, but they're so lo-fi, you can't really hear what they're doing. And particularly, you can't hear what the drum's doing. Like Lloyd Nibb is um, doing really interesting, really specific things about what constitutes a traditional ska beat. And so when bands could like see it live and, and then they started recording records too in the 90s. So that, anyways, what I'm saying is, is like that, that sort of like uh, old worship came in the 90s. And so they, the traditionalists saw like themselves as more preservationist. Uh, like they really were like just deeply invested in the history of ska and the fashion of ska. The the ska punk bands were like all about sort of the fishbone school of ska, which is like mix ska with anything, go insane, um, put on like a like a show that's just pure chaos and anarchy. And so the the, the these two approaches were vastly different. And I think the in the, it was more about the early early nineties to about the mid nineties where this became really tense. Like bands like Skank and Pickle were telling me that they just stopped playing with any band that was traditional because the crowd would hate them. They would um, they would like boo them. They would like start fights. Um, it got pretty hairy. Yeah. Hepcat were, I mean, let's get, let's, Hepcat were an amazing band. Probably one of the best bands uh, to come out of the 90s. They started in like 1990, I think. So they're probably one of the early bands to do it. And, um, but those guys, the story of those guys was that they were scene kids in the eighties who got into ska from two tone from untouchables from other bands. And then they discovered all that old music. And they were like, those guys told me that 
they would go to the like some of these like ska shows and they 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 start to degrade to hate that stuff but the dj would play like one or two or three like trojan songs between sets and then they would get up and just dance like crazy like that was the whole reason they went out was just for those like two songs so yeah so they were kind of like the band that was like well we're going to be the new band to do this music and they they tried to be like a replica of the 60s at first until they realized that it was kind of like, like th- it was a better judgment call to put a modern spin to it. Like you didn't have to put, the ingredient didn't have to be punk rock. It could be soul music. It could be sort of modern pop music and traditional ska beats. And that's where they landed. And but I would say by their, like, especially by their third record, they just perfected that sound. <laughs> the question the, the was, real answer <laughs> the question was what band have you uh would you say hurt the image of ska the most and why is it propaganda the the ska sucks thing is really funny because i mean do you know the story behind ska sucks well, it's, not it's do you know the real story why <laughs> do you know why chris wrote that song so he wrote that song in like the late 80s um when they were still a local band in uh, Winnipeg, and there was a big Nazi problem. These Nazis would come, and I guess they were like, whatever, skinheads and stuff, and um, they didn't know how to deal with this, and then a band from Toronto called Bunch of Fucking Goofs came, uh, and they were like, what the fuck's up with all these Nazis? And Chris is like, I don't know what to do with this, and he's like, you know what? In Toronto, we just fucking kick their asses. That's how we deal with them, and so Chris is like, okay, well, I'm not really violent, so I'm, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna taunt them, so he wrote Scott Sucks as a way to make fun of these skinheads these nazi skinheads that were like crashing their show and make it clear that they weren't welcome there and then um they didn't particularly want to put that song on their first record but fat mike insisted because he thought it was hilarious and that song was in 1993 before there was an actual ska boom like because that song is all about like the, the bands are only in it for the bucks right there was no bucks in 1993 for ska bands so that song sort of retroactively became a ska hatred anthem so it's it's a weird yeah it's a weird history but the real answer to your question is real big fish and i don't i don't (laughs) i don't really blame them for the i don't blame them because it's not their fault that they were like one of six bands that got like you know that got put on a pedestal by mtv like that like that was a band that were doing their own thing in 1991 and there's like a hundred other bands doing their own thing and the fact that they sort of like came to represent ska and that everyone's like, that's what ska is. It's like dudes in Hawaiian shirts singing about beer. Like, exactly, yeah.
Slow Gherkin were awesome. Asian Man was definitely like my, that felt like my scene too. Um, I was like, it was like Slow Gherkin, um, ME330. Like those are the bands I just loved. And like, you know, most of those bands, I mean, except with the exception of Less Than Jake's first record, they weren't really the bands that were represented in the mainstream. But I feel like most of Mike's catalog, which there wasn't a lot of ska records because he kind of moved on from ska pretty quick. Slapstick. Uh, most of those records have hold up extremely well. Like you could still put on a slow Gherkin record. You can put on the slapsticks discography. It's, it's awesome. ME330, ME330 is one of the best bands I think from the nineties. So not on the radio, any of those bands. And that's part of the thing with Sky was like the stuff that was not on the radio was the best stuff. 
All right. Avi, did Haim is also also work. Well, I'm sorry, Haim is also work with Haim. Um, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, I believe. That is wild. You know what's really funny is um, I was uh, I wrote an article for Salon on um, what's his name R- Ross Rostam Rostam from Vampire Weekend. Is that his name? Okay, one of the guys from Vampire Weekend. Uh, he put a solo album out, and uh, Ariel produced that record as well. And I got to interview him for a Salon article, and I interviewed Ariel as well just to get a second voice for the article. And then so we talked for like forty minutes or something. And then after the interview, I was like, I was like, dude, um, <laughs> I was like, dude, you know, uh, back in the '90s, my ska band, Flat Planet, we played with the Hippos at a barn in Gilroy. Do you remember that? He's like, oh, yeah, I remember that was that was funny. We actually had a wonderful interview for uh, the Santa Cruz uh, good, good day, good times, Santa Cruz. Good times, yeah. Yeah, how long were you were you doing? What was your beat there? How did you? I was a music show? editor for a while. I quit actually the beginning of this year, but um, yeah, I was the yeah. Oh uh, God, I I wasn't the music editor the whole time, but I had been writing there for like almost eight, I don't know eight or ten years or something. Would you choose your beat, or would like they just be like, hey, this is some band coming through? Like I got to if I. At a point, I got to pretty much just choose what I want, you know. I just have to run it by my editor. Um, he rarely said no. One of the times he said no was I wanted to interview Diarrhea Planet. And he said, I will not print an article with a band with a bad a name that bad. I was working on a, a trademark situation to kind of fuck Disney up with the Millennial Falcon for a while because we realized that they didn't have that trademarked and they couldn't and they really wanted it. And Aaron was the only person out there in the world who actually like got that and wrote a really fantastic story about that. Everybody else, like we have a ton, like the other journalists that covered it would always be like, hey, I work for this particular trademark lawyer and we would like to figure out how to make you an example. Thank you. <laughs> um, anyhow, Ska's great. It's in Disney movies. Uh, Goof Troop too. <laughs> An extremely goofy movie is what it's actually called. What you got? What do you want me to do? You want me to say pick it up? Yeah, do it! (laughs) Aaron never did say pick it up, and that was the end of our interview. But uh, In Defense of Ska is available like everywhere through Clash Books. Uh, Aaron's podcast, In Defense of Ska, is available everywhere with Adam from Omnigon and Link80. Yeah, I'm going to play some more ska tunes. You're listening to Fake Publishing Millionaire's Hour. My name is Alan Moskowitz. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'll try to not abuse your patience and just give you the best ska I'm physically capable of. Yeah.
From Cap Street to the world, this is BFF.FM. I just wanted to, you know, say thanks again for being here. And if you do any kind of zines or make movies or make comics and want to talk about it, my email is fakepublishingmillionaires at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, we have an infinite amount of episodes coming up. So if you want to be here, don't hesitate, but hit me up whenever. Take your time. Hurry up. The choice is yours. Don't be late. <laughs> Where we're taught to keep our heads down.
town You've got a job to do so go and do it Or you're left out You can't grasp another chance That one is all you get now The mirror ain't for second glances But I can't forget how It feels to lock that piece away To be myself another day Push it down inside of me And let it out some other way I gotta figure it out I need to get rid of the doubt No more of the ignorant bickering All of the differences I won't allow myself to wear these chains No more I'll pick myself up off the floor And rise again, rise against I know what I'll be fighting for I'm adding this onto the ever-growing list of reasons Why the seconds into seasons Got me piecing back my fucking mind Yeah, I'm piecing back my fucking mind Giving up, not on that light Laying down my arms, just ain't an option in this fight 